2: That, that's great. Is yeah, this the you best Curzon podcast you've ever been involved in? Absolutely, yes. Better than Isabelle Ubert.
0: Yeah, I mean, who cares about Isabel Hubert <laughs> when you've got Simon Amstel, <laughs> you know? Hello and welcome to another Curzon film podcast. In this episode, Lucas Dant's ballet school set Girl keeps us on our toes and Simon Amstel channels Ice Cube to tell us all about the Benjamin. I'm Jake Cunningham, and to help get to the point of these two pieces about performance are the pals de de Ella Kemp and Caitlin Quinlan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and holding up the bar, Sam Howlett's here too. Hi. And before we get to Simon Amstel and that chat about Benjamin, let us start with Girl. Uh, based on a real-life story, Girl follows determined 15-year-old Lara, played by Victor Polster, who is committed to becoming a professional ballerina after starting at a new Belgian ballet school. Uh, Though supported by her father, Lara's adolescent frustrations and impatience are heightened as she prepares for gender reassignment surgery. Uh, Having been born a boy, she faces a world that questions her gender and selfhood while also taking on the intense physical demands of a dancer's life. This is the debut film from Belgian director Lucas Donsk. And central to this film is, of course, Victor Polster, who has to carry the weight of it all on his shoulders. Uh, Caitlin, what do you make of this performance?
3: Yeah, so Victor Polster um, has obviously been cast. He's a he's a male ballet dancer cast in um, this this transgender role. Um, so Lucas Don actually called for blind casting. That's partly part of the reason why um, why Polster was was cast. Um, anyone of any gender could audition, um, and it's been said that Nora Montsecure who the uh, film is based on, the the dance of the film is based on. Approved the casting of Polster, um, so there's some interesting debates to be had around that. But I think he gives a, a wonderful performance. I think it's um, quite sort of delicate and um, very moving at times. Actually, I found. Um, but yeah, there's 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 some issues over over that that people have have raised. Um, but for for the film, yeah, I think I think he gives a wonderful performance.
0: Yeah, and the, um, must be said, this film is a representation of the trans experience, um, and it's been lauded and criticised in near equal measure, really. Uh, It's got a lot of awards, but then to counteract that, um, there's certainly been criticism of it as well. And it's uh, important to acknowledge that this has become a controversial film. And before we delve further into it, uh, it's definitely worth saying uh, that nobody speaking here identifies as a member of the trans community. And so our responses are those as observers and there are certainly complexities here that we couldn't come close to understanding, really. Uh, and I would urge listeners to seek out criticism on the film from trans critics as well. Um, Ella, you saw this film quite a while back now, and uh, the opinion on it has transformed. I'm curious how, how you first reacted to it.
4: Yeah. Um, so when I first saw this film, I it wasn't really on my radar. And there are a lot of people individually who recommended it. And, you know, they described it as this really d- delicate hidden gem um, about this incredible story and i was very moved by it when i first saw it but it is really interesting and kind of vital to see the amount of time that's passed and the gap when you know it goes around festivals and anywhere else and then when the criticism started coming out um it was months after i'd first seen it and all the all the criticism that i read is completely valid and i've just found it so so important to have that perspective that was completely different to my own, but also to the other people who had seen the film at the same time as me. Um, so yeah, it's really um, quite important to see how that's evolved. I think.
0: Mm. Um, and so, along with Victor Polster's central performance, um, there's a key supporting role, uh, Aria Rautvalter uh, as Matthias, who plays uh, Lara's dad. And uh, it's an opportunity that I want to talk about that in modern coming of age films like this um more teen stories we're seeing more nice dads nice parents Mm -hmm. and although that seems like kind of a throwaway thing i actually think that's a really important thing and that if i was uh like 10 15 years younger these are the dads that i wish i was seeing
4: absolutely and there's been so many just in the past like two years or something so and these dads are always dealing with kind of difficult and different situations like their teenage children both sons and daughters are going through so many different things like with their identity and sexuality and confidence and all of it so you know you've got the dad in Call Me By Your Name played by Michael Stolberg who's dealing with Elio's sexuality and you know his first big romance then you've got the dad in 8th grade finally coming out in the UK soon and he's dealing with his daughter's crippling anxiety um in middle school and then i think also it's interesting you had love simon last year where you've got his dad who also has to deal through his son going through a whole thing that he doesn't even know about and it's really interesting to see how these dads have what are allies and have to just adapt to these situations and do it in such an, an interesting and new way each time and the dad and girl also does this i think he's a really terrific character
5: Stanley Tucci and uh EZA as well. Absolutely. There. It's a bit old now. But he's yeah, and there's a kind of two crass categories for this. They're either kind of all knowing and they're like, Don't worry, I know you'll get through this. Um I'll kind of let you work it out on your own or they're learning along with their child. And in Girl, Matthias is very much he doesn't have all the answers, he doesn't know what she's going through, but he's very much like, I'm here for you even though I don't know what you're going through. And there's that scene in the kitchen where he's, you know, don't, don't tell me you're fine. Tell me actually how you're feeling. Mm. So he's learning as along with Lara.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, but b- both of these films that we're talking about today are very much about people, uh, or very much have elements of them that are about people being allowed to speak, um, mm. and having someone to speak to, um, when they feel like maybe they don't. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think Easy a is a great shout. And I, I, if there are young people watching stories that show these kind of parental yeah. relationships, uh, I'm glad they're out there. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's let's delve into ballet for a little bit. We've seen ballet recently in Suspiria. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the big film from like 10 years ago would have been Black Swan. And ballet is a great way of kind of delving into a psyche. It's giving a kind of physical manifestations to the frustrations and pain that someone might be feeling
5: yeah well ballet in film recently is not just a dance anymore it's it's like it's a lifestyle it's a full-on something you have to devote your whole body and mind to and back in black swan that film's a full-on horror film that really dealt uh you know exaggerates and delves into how hard it is to be a ballerina and how much you have to give up to your craft and there's the scene where she's like she's really um, bending her toes to fit into the ballet shoes and, <laughs> and then Suspiria really blows that way out of proportion how like, they contort, contort their bodies in a ballet setting and then this film I think it does have that element to it where you can kind of feel her pain um, in in the ballet school and what she's doing to her body. I think because obviously those films are full-on horror films. I'd say *Girl* is less sensationalist in how it shows the pain of ballet, even though it shows her bleeding toes. It, it, I think it quickly goes away from that back to, back to Lara's face because it wants to stay with her. It's her experience. It's not like you're looking at her. It wants you to be with her. And even when, even in the ballet scenes, there are very few wide shots. It feels like often it just stays on Lara, and it moved, the camera moves with her around the room rather than the whole setting.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, Um, It's worth pointing out that there are a number of areas that have been challenged by the trans community in the film. Uh, The writer-director of the film and the film star identify as cis male and perhaps this is not a story to be told by cisgender filmmakers.
3: Yeah, I think um, there are some... Interesting debates we had around that. Again, we're not here to speak as members of the trans community, but, um, you know, hoping to approach this from a position of sort of allyship, I do struggle um, with this sort of cisgender casting and directing um, because I think there are just too many opportunities for unhelpful narratives to be foregrounded and um, sort of misinformation to be put forward here that serves little purpose other than really to sort of play into, you know, a lot of common um, transphobic misconceptions and and abuse really um so yeah there's there's there are issues there around around what kinds of information can be put forward by people who have not lived that experience
0: yeah certainly um so i think it's definitely one because there is such a wide variety of opinion on there to uh to to check out for yourselves you can do so in cinemas and on demand um that's girl which is out this week and now we're moving from belgium to holland as it's time for some amstel
2: okay listen on oh, no i what? Well, you don't have to eat the porridge. Let me pressure you into porridge. No, no, uh, is it, is it weird if we carry on hanging out? If you have stuff to do, No, like... no I've got nothing. Um, no, that's... Yeah, go on. What, uh, what should we do with our lives? We could, we could get some mushrooms. Magic mushrooms? Or just mushrooms? Magic mushrooms.
5: Uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds fun. Let's get some of those mushrooms.
0: Yeah? Hmm. Cool. So, with
5: the porridge? i oh, fuck
2: the porridge. No, no, we'll eat the porridge. <laughs> okay.
0: Ella, could you uh, tell us a little bit about the film from the former host of Pop World and Nevermind the Buzzcocks?
4: can indeed. So this is the film directed by Simon Anstor. This is called Benjamin and it's a story of a filmmaker who's on the brink of releasing the tough second feature film who is searching for critical and emotional validation. But when he's introduced to French musician Noah, maybe he hopes that he can break these cycles of distraction and anxiety and be content not just with Noah but also with himself.
0: Yes, and here is what happened when I sat down with Simon himself. Simon Amstel, thanks so much for coming on the Curzon Podcast.
2: That's all right, Jake. I'm thrilled. Yes.
0: Uh, So we're actually sat in Curzon, Soho, which is where you shot a few scenes for your new film, Benjamin. Uh, It's also where the main character, a filmmaker, has quite a tough time introducing his new film. And we're doing this interview just after you've introduced your film. So is this place becoming some kind of weird filmmaking purgatory for you?
2: Uh, I guess (laughs) it would be if I wasn't having such a lovely time. But it's great. It's exciting to be here again. I think the last time I was here was when we were shooting. I was feeling a bit stressful coming through the corridor to get to this room where we we shot a corridor scene with a tracking shot, and it took a long time to get right. And then we locked somebody in a an office. This isn't very interesting. But anyway, it was was thrilling. The corridor was a bit stressful for me. You can cut that out if that isn't interesting enough.
0: I'm sure we've got a lot of fans familiar with the geography of Coz and (laughs) Soho. And they're, they're wondering which closet <laughs> it must have been yeah. <laughs> yeah there are so many iconic ones in this building um all right so the name of the film is benjamin um and that is uh who is the main character in the film which is unusual for a romance i felt uh but where often maybe the partner of the film might get the title uh but to me i read this film as as much as it's a romance it's a film about kind of Self-love as well, um, and that's why the name of the film is Benjamin.
2: That's love. true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's a really, it's really a coming-of-age story. It's really about Benjamin. Benjamin learning to love and be loved. He starts the film completely defended. All he wants is the love of an audience because he's terrified of intimacy. And slowly, over the course of the film, Noah's very beautiful French musician breaks down his defenses and teaches him to love himself and others <laughs> yes well spotted
0: oh well thank you it's uh, <laughs> i realized you passed me my notebook today and mm-hmm. just a moment ago you might have seen what was tucked underneath it as well i didn't what you did was was, oh, tucked underneath it, it? it was, well it was actually your book um, oh that's <laughs> my book oh that's good <laughs> um and so it was after watch i watched the film last week and yeah. then uh so picked this up delve into it and i think that that was uh where i Kind of more explored the idea of this being a journey into the self as much as it is into a relationship. And uh, the opening of the film is revealed to be a film within a film, um, uh, a film that Benjamin has made called No Self. And that was the name of your 2007 tour, as well as being a kind of a Buddhist uh, principle. Yes. And do you see the era of that benjamin is in as similar to you in that time or is it more of an amalgamation of your experiences over the last decade 15 years or so
2: um i keep saying in interviews that he uh, that i wrote it as a way of trying to figure out what was wrong with me in my 20s um and that's sh- what well, i th- guess what i realized with that title which was originally a stand up show was how pretentious i was <laughs> 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 and so when i came to write this benjamin character who is pretentious because he's desperate for validation, and he's just trying anything that will make people think he's cool. He'd be so thrilled to be at the Curzon. <laughs> um, so he he calls his film No Self, and he has a monk in it, and it's just full of Buddhist philosophy that doesn't really make any sense. And... Um, Yeah, I can't remember how I started this sentence, but I can't remember what the end... What what, what did I say? What was the beginning of the sentence?
0: Oh, something profound. You you sounded like a a Buddhist monk. I think you should put that into a film. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh,
2: You'll edit some of this, right? Definitely. Okay, good.
0: (laughs) Um, And so that film within a film, No Self, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious how, when you started making Benjamin, how do you think about what the film looks like and how do, I, how do you think about what the film within the film looks like?
2: It was good having this film within the film because we got to do all the worst things that um, you can do, I think, as a director, which is try too hard, throw in shots that aren't um, serving the story but are just a bit flashy. Uh, so he throws in every odd camera angle. The grade um, is, is, is really try-hard uh the acting is slightly wonky as well somehow there and then when we come th-
0: there was a particular pet peeve of mine oh well actually maybe this could be maybe in your next film you you desperately want to shoot something in four by three.
2: Oh yeah and it's four yeah. three <laughs> yeah that's the other thing that he's seen andrea arnold and he's seen Xavier dolan and he's gone i oh, need to be more like those guys yeah. i need to be really cool and he's kind of forgotten that he's funny his first film which was called happy uh was a funny film and kind of effortless and so the way we shot benjamin was in this more effortless or at least seemingly effortless way and it's a film about intimacy it's a film about a character trying to or a character who is eventually convinced by this other character noah to just be a bit more easy and just be in a moment with another human being without having to feel like he has to be someone better so we wanted the cinematography to not get in the way of the story to feel like just appropriate to what was going on in the moment. We want to have, you know, we want to be quite creative at the same time. And I think it looks quite beautiful, but not in a way that's trying to be beautiful, just appropriately beautiful.
0: Yeah, well, it's, to me, great cinematography, great editing, doesn't tell you it's there.
2: Yes, that's it, that's it.
0: Um, And you, you mentioned this as a film about intimacy, and something that I really loved about it, that I don't see enough in a lot of films is how you can show character, and in this case, tenderness, through food. And I actually found the porridge in this scene.
2: (laughs) I was like, what are you talking about? The porridge, yeah. And that's
0: actually a really sweet moment. Because he cooks it for him. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And I didn't know, excuse the pun, whether that was a a baked-in idea, that you could could find a moment through food. Because I think food is a really personal thing, and particularly Mm -hmm. porridge, where people do cook it in their own way.
2: That's true, yes. There was a lot of talk about how the porridge should be made that day. <laughs> and Colin Morgan, who plays Benjamin, was talking a lot about how he puts almond butter in his porridge. But that doesn't seem like the right thing to do.
0: How do you make your porridge?
2: God, it's so complicated. My porridge is just, like full of seeds and protein powders. I mean, nobody apart from me would want to eat my porridge. So it doesn't look, you know, that's not my porridge in that film. No. Because it wouldn't have been such a joyful <laughs> scene. <laughs> It would have just been like confusing <laughs> uh
0: well i I still think it's it's a great way of building up a person uh like what food they eat, what books they read there are yeah. these bookshelves um that y- it's not like you you linger on particular things to let us know oh he's read in inherent vice or something um yeah. but I wonder, did you think about what might be on the shelf of yes, Benjamin uh,
2: every book on his shelf is handpicked there's a lot about um there's a lot about directing. Uh, there were a lot of self-help books. There were a lot of uh, books on Buddhism. I'm trying to think. Like it, it, it was a lot. A lot of the books on his shelf are the books that I read in preparation for directing the film. I can't remember what they're called, but I think he's also got Story by Robert McKee, the the big screenplay mm. book. And um, yeah, th- I think there's a book. I think there's a book on his shelf that's just called Directing Actors that I read at some point. And um, Truth by Susan Batson. All these kind of books. Yeah.
0: And um what kind of what kind of films do you think Benji? Ben Benji? Sorry.
2: No, call him Benji. I mean you enjoyed <laughs> his porridge. <laughs> <Or> <laughs> it, it looked pretty good. <laughs> um
0: what kind of films would Benjamin be watching?
2: Ah uh, well I think if you I think if you asked him in an interview situation like this, he would tell you that he'd been watching a lot of Truffaut and uh I don't know. He'd try and sound very impressive. He'd probably go to the Curzon bathroom, write down some of the posters that he sees in that bathroom, and then come back and tell you um, (laughs) the films that he's really loved. But if he was being honest, I think he would tell you that he fell in love with film after watching Back to the Future and, um, and loves uh i don't know comedies that aren't necessarily particularly cool he might you know he might say that he really liked and was affected by notting hill (laughs) but he wouldn't say that he'd he'd keep that inside yeah because he was terrified of um of not being cool enough and not being validated by cool people
0: but you don't need that
2: anymore i don't need that of course because i'm i'm you know i'm very well and uh, i've had a lot of therapy and uh you know, whatever Noah teaches him in the film, I've been taught. And you're, you're
0: happy to say now that Notting yeah, Hill is your favourite film.
2: Notting Notting Hill's my favourite film. <laughs> I'm doing that Mark Kermode uh, thing at the BFI uh, next week. And, you know, he does a thing called Guilty Pleasures. Mm. And um, I'm not really... I don't really subscribe to the idea of any pleasure being, uh, or, or you know, guilty. I, I think if it's pleasurable... It's guilt-free. ...and legal... <laughs> <laughs> and everyone consents. It's uh, it's you know it's uh, it's why I feel gui- feel guilty about it. And he asked me which film I wanted to talk about. and I'm going to talk about Titanic. I think because it really affected me as a child. And I know it's like the, like an enormous you know huge blockbuster of a film, but it made me cry a lot when mm. I was 15. My mum had just got remarried to this stepfather character. I didn't really like him very much, and I and I thought she'd married him just because he had a house. So I took my mum, and my grandma to see Titanic, and. I, um, this isn't really what you asked, but I took them to see Titanic uh, to teach them that true love is more important than financial security. It was a big moment in my life. And as the film, as the credits rolled, I turned to my grandma to say, you know, see? And my grandma said, how could she leave such a rich man? <laughs> So uh, I love Titanic. Yeah.
0: I, I understand it's important as well for you for the way that Leonardo DiCaprio's hair falls over oh his eyes. Oh, my
2: God. Well, yeah, and also in, um, in Romeo and Juliet. I mean, that was a very confusing time for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, all right. Whilst um, whilst none of these events have we established happened to you, the feelings, they did happen, the feelings of Benjamin. Um, yeah. Is there, is there a catharsis in putting him on screen? Do you feel like there is a w- you're letting go of this
2: era a little bit in the um, the the change the changes in me are much clearer having fictionalized certain aspects of myself one example is attending the um, premiere of the London Film Festival last year I was feeling quite nervous I had to do a speech at the beginning and I thought oh Benjamin felt really nervous on this night for him in the film and he was a mess and had a major crisis and breakdown afterwards. Do I really want that to be my life now? I feel like there's no point in fictionalizing parts of yourself unless you're going to get better. So I thought, let's let, let's let him go, let, let, let that character go. He doesn't have to exist within you anymore. You understand him, you, you wrote this in order to figure out what was wrong with you. And I had a lovely time. I sat there in the audience, people were laughing. I thought, oh, this is, this is great. This is great news. I'm not insane for thinking that this was a good idea to make this film. It's being received very well. People are not just making laughing noises, but l- noises that make me feel like they care for the character and want him to do well. And then afterwards, the Q&A went very well. And it was just the most amazing night. And um, I suppose it helped that I'd made a better film <laughs> than Benjamin had made. <laughs> 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 I, hadn't, you know, I hadn't ruined my life by making a terrible, pretentious film. hmm and uh Benjamin tries to solve that by throwing
0: himself immediately into the next project as well. Yes. But as people are people are enjoying this film, can you you can relish into it for
2: Yeah, a bit. I can relish for a, maybe a week. Yes. I could do a week of relishing and then I might have to figure out what I'm doing with my life.
0: Yeah. Well, I th- I think that that's something that I really empathize with in his character is that it is this creation that he is compelled to do, to to make things. But it's also that that gives him his stress and his anxieties. But he can't escape from it, even though he is the creator of it.
2: Yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, it's a yeah. nightmare. And uh, yeah. And you're just going to go and do that again, aren't you? I guess so. But I think the difference is that he is obsessed with the results of what he does. And I've come to the conclusion that it's all about the joy of doing the thing rather than any acclaim that you get afterwards because even if you get all the acclaim that you think you need it only lasts a minute and then you have to go and do another thing for more acclaim so if you're in if you're you know if you're that uh yeah what was i going to say anyway let's end that there (laughs) (laughs) whatever i said what was the last thing i said (laughs) only lasts for a minute and then uh, you have to go and get more acclaim Yeah. yeah so that's not a good cycle to be on in or on In, I think you're in a cycle. That's not a good cycle to be in. Better to just enjoy what you're doing, right? (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. I'm a bit high because I've done 18 interviews today. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't even know what human beings sound like anymore. (laughs) All I've heard is my own voice saying similar things over and over again. And I keep repeating the same thing in in interviews. That seems to be happening as well because I'm not sure if I've said them or not.
0: Well, I mean, they're all new to me.
2: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Great.
0: Simon, thanks so much Is for joining right? us. Is that
2: right? That's great. you're yeah, the you best Curzon podcast you've ever been involved in? Absolutely, yes. Better than Isabel Hubert?
0: Yeah, I mean, who cares about Isabel Hubert <laughs> when you've got Simon <laughs> Amstel, you know? I mean, you would do a fantastic job in The Piano Teacher, I'm sure. Oh,
2: yeah, thanks. Yeah, that was horrible when she, she put glass in the bag, didn't she?
0: Mm, then stabbed herself.
2: And then stabbed herself. He never leaves you with a happy ending, does he? That guy, Michael Haneke Michael Haneke That what was the one with they died in the apartment? Amor. Amor. And then the credits roll. He doesn't even give you a song on the credits. Just nothing.
0: What would you have ended Amor with?
2: Wonderwall. (laughs) Wonderwall. No, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe something uh, like uh, "Forget your troubles, come on, get happy."
1: forget
0: your troubles come on get happy yep <laughs> <laughs> what about that yeah i think that's a good choice i, th- I feel like you could suggest it to him next <laughs> yeah. time haneke asks you for notes just uh,
2: yeah if i met him i think i'd end up saying what what you what do you want from <laughs> us what you <laughs> you know we're all living very difficult lives this is not helping mm. but he obviously is a great artist yeah but you know <laughs> cheer up <laughs>
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Thank you.
0: So I know there's a a few fans here that would have been watching Pop World and Buzzcocks back in the day. Um, Would either of you imagine that this is what Simon Amstel would have been doing now? No,
5: probably
3: not. Not
0: (laughs) (laughs) Considering before Pop World, he was like a uh,
5: presenter on a children's show. And he was removed from that children because he was too sarcastic to the kids. <laughs> and so that he's made something, as you say, so like sincere is very surprising.
3: I think, I think Simon Ups was is hilarious, but yeah, it's, it's always been um, interesting to see what he's going to do next. And um, this is definitely a romantic film. It's very sweet. It's very kind of clear that he's worked through a lot of um, his own personal traumas and issues to sort of create this really, you know, beautiful, I think it's a really beautiful film. Um, and yeah, maybe some people would think this is going to be totally insufferable. It's a film about filmmakers in East London and, you know, these sort of tortured male artists. But I, th- I honestly think it's, I think it's wonderful. I think Colin Morgan, um, he's he plays Benjamin, the, the, the lead character, is great. He's so charming. I don't know if it's because he's Northern Irish, <laughs> but he's just wonderful in the role um, and really kind of carries this film with, um, a sensitivity um, great humour he has great comic timing really funny and it's clear that he's not trying to be Simon Amstel you know there's a lot of similarities between Amstel's life and, and the film that he's um, he's making but I think Colin Morgan really carries you know holds his own here and is is not trying to sort of mimic or do a, do an impression of Simon Amstel which is really important
0: yeah it's it's quite a slight film uh, I don't think it's good people aren't going to be bashing down the doors of cinemas to check it out mm-hmm. um, I think it's the kind of film that people are going to find and just kind of stumble on and get comfort from that. Uh, it it kind of feels like this London version of so many Sundance films that we see turn out uh, kind of a bit sun-dappled, romantic, and easygoing.
4: Yeah, and but I think having that London edge, if I may, like <laughs> makes it it makes it seem like the kind of film that I would urge people to seek it out because I think it seems slight, but in If slight was a positive adjective, it would have every defining, like Benjamin would be everything positive about the word slight because it has, as I say, Caitlin, that really sharp humour and it's just so tight throughout. And I think the difference with a lot of the reason that people would dub Sundance films as kind of a a negative thing is that, that they can kind of seem forgettable and all of these characters just kind of blend into each other and, you know, you forget who they really are. But... Colin Morgan just brings Benjamin to life in a way that you think this is definitely Simon Amstel with his comedy who's written it. But he's just this, like, he's a character that you remember and that you care for. And throughout you, you know, I found myself after the film finished thinking, I wonder, I wonder what Benjamin's doing. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, uh, comparing to, to those kind of films, I think what makes this one stand out, and why it doesn't just fall into the pantheon of kind of, of charming romance um, films that we kind of forget about uh, is that it, it's able to cut through the treacle and it's able to have a bit of self awareness um, and I think that comes from Amstel's script. I think if this were a pretty straight and narrow film about filmmakers um, struggling with their anxieties and their romance, it could be uh, tough to get through. Um, but there is just the right amount of self awareness. I mean, he's not Deadpool. But uh, uh, but who is? Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's there's just enough through it, um, and that he is taking the make out of himself, just the right amount to be able to get through it and make it enjoyable. Um, I mean, I particularly like the way that he constructs, as we talk about in the interview, the the kind of pretentious filmmaking that a filmmaker like him would make, and that's kind of Amstel acknowledging that yeah I am I am that guy a bit actually uh, and if I did have my way I may end up making quite a terrible art house film influenced by Buddhist philosophy, shot on film and projected in 4 by 3 uh, he's capable of that but he was able to reel it in um, and it, it certainly made me forget about the Simon Amstel character that we saw for 15 years um, and suddenly he feels like a real person and part, part of that authenticity, I think, comes from the dialogue in the film, um, and that it's we're not just seeing anxiety or depression through stilted silences and frustrations like that. Um, we're over expressing to make up for the fact we're under expressing.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's clear that Amstel's kind of using this creative process as a kind of catharsis. There's a therapy involved for him, but um, but yeah, part of part of it is about keeping it funny and keeping it um, relatable in this kind of you know word vomit kind of way where actually these characters really say so much but say very little you know there's they're sort of babbling and and um, benjamin is 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 over talking and with noah especially in his love interest in some um some of those sort of romantic scenes the things he says is you know you you want to cringe and you just want to <laughs> sort of hug him and tell him to be quiet because he's he's you know revealing far too much you'd think but but that's just how he needs to get all this out of him, and he, he has no real filter on on um, on his brain, I guess for for now. And it's 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 really interesting that this is something that I think we've seen crop up in a, quite a few films recently. Um, this overexpression and excessive dialogue, and characters who want to get their feelings out but really struggle to say it succinctly and clearly to the people around them.
0: Yeah, um, and anyone who's recently watched the the new episodes of Fleabag, I think Fleabag's dad. Uh, is a great one for just constantly talking without actually saying anything. He has a great speech at a dinner table in episode one of the new one, which I would urge people to check out. Um, let's uh, let's step away from Amstel and uh, Noah and Benjamin for a bit and get a bit more technical and look at uh, look at the score and the cinematography of this film because they're certainly worth highlighting. Uh, the score is by James Wrighton, um, member of Claxons. Yeah. Um, so with all this pop world buzzcocks chat, it's very much a 2007 <laughs> type yeah. feel. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, um, it was James Wright and, and Simon Amps who actually uh, wrote together the lyrics and the music for um, some of the songs that Noah um, performs. Uh, he's a musician um, and that's sort of how Benjamin sort of comes to comes to fall in love with him, I suppose. Um, but yeah, they work together on the music and I, th- I imagine that must have been a real kind of soothing process as well. You know, there's writing a script and getting your emotions out that way. But there's something obviously so much more kind of intensely personal, I suppose, about writing song lyrics and having them be performed, you know, by a by one of your characters. Um, but yeah, I think the score is really beautiful.
4: Um, and there's the thing that I love so much about the music in this film is that I really think that it just emphasises and anchors the way that Benjamin is feeling so much because as opposed to just sitting under everything he's saying to make it sound like more romantic or Hollywood or whatever, it fills a lot of the silences. So often it comes in, like the second after Benjamin has finished saying whatever thing he's panicking about, and often it's as soon as he's finished uh, talking to Noah or Noah's just walked away, then you have this lovely, just warm, mellow, tinkly piano coming in. And it it just makes me think of like the second that someone leaves when you start like replaying the conversation in your head (laughs) and like what you think of that person and how it all ended up and you've got here that score that actually like helps that and just I feel like it really initiates that um nostalgic immediate nostalgia that you'd have like as a viewer
0: yeah um and uh, shout out to David Pym as well the cinematographer on this um you've got these manages to build a a real sense of location and space about london um but also those moments of intimacy like little moments of cooking or in a bath um and again it's it's not that i don't know quite how to describe it vimeo dslr (laughs) shaky (laughs) lens flare look it feels um like composed Mm -hmm. but without being constructed i Mm -hmm. suppose um and this is very much a London film. We did a call out on Twitter to uh, get any Lond- low-key London locations uh, from our followers there uh, to complement the Curzon Soho bathrooms that feature in the film. Uh, so as, as a nod to our recording space, which is Soho Radio on Great Wilmill Street, I would like to highlight the phone boxes on this very street featured in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, at Tweets by Joff says the Newman Passage in Disobedience I mean, credits to the guy who can pull out like an alley. (laughs) Uh, I know those bricks. (laughs) Yes. Um, And Papaya Films must have been lucky enough to see In Fabric already, as they've pointed out that there is an appearance of the shop Jackson's of Reading in Croydon, uh, which makes up the department store in that film. You didn't tell me, guys, that it was Jackson's of Reading. Now I'm really excited (laughs) about In Fabric. Gosh. Um, Right. Was there any other uh, low-key London locations? Well, if you watch
5: uh, Thor The Dark World, you'll see that the ending is set in uh, Greenwich, Jake. Yeah. You said low key, right? Loki's at <laughs> that film. Uh,
0: Ella, any for yourself?
4: Um, just, just two small mentions. You know, I'm a big fan of train stations. I uh, commute a lot. So uh, we've got Paddington Station in Paddington Um, and then we have uh, about time Um, now I didn't know which which tube station this was so I'm going to go with the result that I found during my research which is the tube (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, I think it might be made of ale. thank you Jake um, that's only because I recently rewatched it and had to pause it because I had to learn what it was oh you
4: had to (laughs) yes (laughs)
0: Um, All right. Uh, so that's Benjamin and Girl which are out in cinemas and on home cinema this week Uh, and we've got a new addition to the home cinema service that is Wildlife Uh, we delved into this one quite a few months ago now Uh, so go back and listen to that episode if you want to but it's certainly a recommendation
4: Absolutely, yes. I love wildlife. I still do. I wrote about it way back when as well. Um, There is an article on the Curtain blog where I talk about Jeanette Brinson, who is Carrie Mulligan's character in wildlife, alongside Veronica Rawlings, who is in Widows.
0: Yes, it's a great piece. Do go and check that one out if you can. Um, But that's really about it. If you've got any thoughts on Girl or Benjamin or any more of those low-key London locations... Do let us there know? might be
5: some in avengers i don't know <laughs> or uh for one or for ragnarok or infinity war
0: there's edinburgh isn't there in, there is Edinburgh, you know, yeah. A little, yeah. Um, we will deep fry your kebab. <laughs> um, yeah, if you've got any of those, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com uh, for next week's show, or you can tweet us, as the others have done, at Curzon Cinemas. If it's your first time listening, please subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts. And when you're there, do leave us a review or a comment. It would be wonderful. Next week, we'll be talking about Jordan Peele's Us, and we'll also be talking to the legendary Rafe Fiennes about his directorial effort, The White Crow. Uh, Until next time, though, if you want to keep up with us, uh, you can follow Ella on Twitter at...
3: EFE Kemp. uh,
0: And Caitlin, it's your first time on the show. If people follow you on Twitter at...
3: CSA Quinlan.
0: Yeah, and uh, they can find some writing from you as well.
3: They can indeed, yep. Um, I've got some stuff coming up for Sight and Sound, Little White Lies, my usual spot. Um, So, yeah have a have a have a read
0: yeah. uh and sam if people really hate themselves and <laughs> yeah. want to follow
5: you if people have nothing better to do the find a... yeah if you want any more key locations <laughs> you can follow me uh at sam howlett underscore one
0: brilliant and if you want to keep up with me i'm at jake H. cunningham thank you so much for listening farewell